0: Amen. So uh, last week we uh, we had just picked up and uh, we we discussed the Samaritan woman at the well and uh, where, where her life was completely changed. A normal day for her uh, ended up being uh, something that, you know, we, we talked about her. She was uh, most likely an outcast in her society. Uh, because she had had five husbands, and the one she was living with at that point was not her husband. So she's, she's living a life uh, contrary to the Word of God. And, uh, so she would go out in the middle of the day versus uh, in the cool of the day, in the morning or in the evening, uh, like all the other women would, uh, to go get the water. So she's at, in the middle of the day, and uh, she meets Jesus there. And Jesus has a conversation with her about living water. That, that there's, there's there's something that Jesus can offer her that's greater than uh, her everyday life and what that well, Jacob's well, could offer her. And uh, we learn that that Jesus says, you know, he's speaking of his spirit. He's, he's speaking of renewal that can come through him. She hears the good news and, and runs into town and goes and tells everybody. And everybody in town comes out and hears Jesus. And, and they say, we believe, not because she told us, but because we heard ourselves talked about faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that's where we ended off. And, and, uh, now what we're picking up with is, uh, he ends up staying there with them for two days. So, uh, John uh, chapter four verses uh, verse 43 says now, after two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he, came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So uh, Jesus departing uh, to Galilee, and he mentions that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So he stayed there for two days, no doubt ministering and, and teaching and, and sharing things, uh, with the Samaritans, and we talked about the the just you can just talk just mention hate the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans and to sum it up, the Samaritans uh were considered half jews or or you know so they were uh they were half breeds and uh, so those two had no no dealings with each other, so for Jesus to stay there as a Jew for two days meant a lot for them. And, uh, and so he ministers to them. And we talked about, uh, about how the Lord used the Samaritans to teach the Jews uh, a, a lot of truths. Uh, one was the, uh, the Good Samaritan, where the last person that they thought would be the one to help the person who's, who's uh, injured and laying uh, you know, near death, near the road, was the one that they wouldn't have expected. And then, he talk, and then we, we, there's also the other account of uh, the 10 lepers. And uh, Jesus sends them to, uh, to the priests, and they present themselves, and they're clean, and they're, they're healed. Now, leprosy was a, a, was a death sentence. So when you're healed of that, there should be some rejoicing. And only one of them came back to thank Jesus. And Jesus said, is there only one, the Samaritan? So for Jesus to spend two days with them when there's this consternation between the two groups, that's saying a lot. It's a very powerful thing that happens. So he spends two days with them. It, it, Jesus himself, it goes on to say that he testified that uh, he has no honor amongst his own. So Jesus was from the, the uh, region of Galilee. And we see later on in his life that he he ends up being rejected and the synoptic gospels. They, they focus on him ministering in, in Galilee and uh, Northern Israel. And, and John, his main focus is what happened in Judea. So in a uh, Southern Israel. So, I, I have a, a quote from uh, Alfred, a, um, a Bible scholar. He says, he betakes himself to Galilee, therefore, to avoid fame, testifying that his own country, Galilee, uh, was that where, as a prophet, he was least likely to be honored. So when he says a prophet has no honor, um, uh, no honor in his own country, uh, he's, he's speaking of Galilee. And, and so what he does is he goes back there knowing because he's not trying to, to gain a crowd unto himself, right? When the, when the multitudes would start going to him, he'd move away because he wasn't supposed to be declared as the Messiah yet. He still had to complete his ministry. So uh, when, we, when we see that it says here that he testified uh, that a prophet has no honor in his own country, uh, Alfred offers that as an explanation for it, that he would go there because he was least likely to be honored uh, amongst everyone else. Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 58 says, When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. Right? They knew him. They knew him, so they were offended at him. It finishes in verse 57. Says, But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. In his own house, you know the names of those were just mentioned from his own house. Now he did not do many uh, many mighty works there because of their unbelief in his own in his own country. Wait, he, he's he's familiar. You have, have you ever heard the term familiarity breeds contempt? I uh, I'm familiar with uh, pastors and those that lead churches, priests. Past- uh it, it might be so uh, also and in, in, uh, with a priest, but. I know uh, I've, ex- I've, I've experienced this in a little bit of a way uh, myself, but I've, I've heard of many other times that the pastor doesn't won't interact with the congregation because they don't want to be familiar with the congregation because then they believe that they're they're going to not be respected any further. So that's a uh, uh, you know it, it, really when you think of uh, when you think of that saying familiarity breeds contempt. I, I saw one explanation that says extensive knowledge can lead one to a loss of respect for an individual or thing. As soon as you know a little bit more about it, then you start becoming prideful, right? Oh, oh, they're no longer. I'm, I'm, oh, that. Per- oh, he's he's just a sinner, guys. You're going to see it in my life. You shouldn't see sin outwardly in my life, but you're going to see that. Hey, I, you know, I I might get you know angry at a toilet that's not working or whatever and be like this stupid thing i want to toss it out or whatever you know it, we're we're all human beings and 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 to look at anybody and go well this person in that position could, could never ever get angry at a not working toilet or there's a reason i don't work on cars guys i don't like it i bought i bust my knuckles and everything shane God bless you brother. Um, I, I don't have the pay, I don't have the, the ability to I can do little things. on my like I'm proud of myself, the little things, proud of myself yeah, talking about pride and here I am saying that. but you know I'll, I'll give myself a pat on the back if I'm able to do certain things, but there's a reason I don't because it brings out the absolute worst in me. Like why can't I get to that bolt? And then you got you guys like Shane that have the special thing, and hey, it's good, dude, it's good to go. See, they designed this for that, and I don't know that, so you know, I'm ripping off bumpers, and no, so there's a reason I don't do it. So that familiarity brings, breeds contempt. So ma- many pastors will separate themselves from the church uh, and and from fellowship with them just because they don't want to be uh, too familiar with people that they don't have the respect. And I don't, I don't believe that's the way to go. That's not how a shepherd is called to lead the flock. You know, if you think of David, where was David? He's out in the field with his flock. You know, he was there to feed them, to protect them, lead them, guide them. And you've got you to gotta roll up your sleeves and, and, and get into ministry uh, rather than separate. Say, whoa, I don't want these guys to be too familiar with me. They might find out I'm human. You know, that's just not not the way to go. You know, that's David was there and pastors need to follow the example of the good shepherd. John chapter 10. We'll get there eventually, Uh, but go through and read, you know, that that uh, Jesus calls his sheep by by his name, by their own name and leads them. And he goes before them and they follow him. You know, you should see me following Christ and be able to follow me as as the pastor here. You know, that, that understanding that, that Jesus as the shepherd was so close and loved them so much that he's willing to die for us, you know, as he's, as he's explaining that in John chapter 10. You know, it, it, it's important to understand that Jesus says he knows his sheep, that the God of all creation knows his sheep. We've talked about how intimately he knows us, right? The numbers of hairs on our head, and we joked about it, I think, last week. What color they are, who knows? He knows, but uh, you know or or the lack of hair on our head, right? He knows all that, you know, whatever it is, you know the Lord knows us very well. It's important to understand though, that that pastors are not Jesus. We can't we can't make the pastor the one that we go to for everything. It's important to understand that we need to go to the Lord in prayer first. You know, he you know, he's alone the one that we should be praying to and seeking, you know, seek his face in prayer before coming to me. If we if we've got some. So not that you can never have a question or whatever. And uh, and uh, hey John, I'm dealing with this. Will you pray with me or whatever? That that's biblical to, to do that. But I can't. And you probably experienced this. I don't know if you have in your life. As soon as somebody knows who maybe not is not a believer, as soon as they know you're a believer, they'll come to you for everything. And they've got every question, you know. Uh, for me, John, what do I do? And, 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 okay, well, first of all, you need to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And once you do, you're going to understand that you can go to Him for anything. But you know, we're brothers. Let's talk. Let's let's share and everything. Or we're sisters. Let's 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 discuss this. Uh, Pastor Romain served under uh, under Chuck Smith in uh, uh, Calvary Chapel, and now I'm forgetting the name of the town. It was like the first one. Um, What's that? Costa Mesa. Thank you. In Costa Mesa. Romaine was a, uh, a former, uh, mill. I think he was in the Marines and, uh, he was kind of a little, uh, you know, a little hard, uh, hard shell on the outside there. And, and, uh, when, when people would come and they would, so he was the guy that they would put before, uh, they would have to see Romaine before they could go see Chuck Smith. Not because he's got thousands of people in that church and he's got to minister to those people. It's not because he's trying to separate himself and not be mixed among them, but people had to realize that they were supposed to be able to go to God first. So when they'd come to Romaine, go, I do deal with this, this, and this, he had a sign above his door and he'd just point to the sign. Have you prayed about it? <laughs> so it was, that was, that was his job was to make sure that people weren't coming to him or coming uh, to Chuck to uh, please, please be my God and, and guide me and everything. No, a shepherd is supposed to to lead, but we're, we're, we're not supposed to be that one that everybody runs to first. A Christian should run to God first and then say, hey, I'm dealing with this in my life. Can, can you pray for me? Or, you know, I, I need some help. I need some guidance here or there that, that a shepherd would do that. But to separate themselves completely from the flock is not the way to do it. So that familiarity breeds contempt. It might, you know, don't let it happen in your heart. Don't go. Oh, yeah. I know John. I grew up with John, or whatever. And yeah, because not having respect for those in our lives that, that the Lord has put in a leadership role can also get us into trouble. Might say things about them that somebody else hears, and and well, why, why would read You know, it just let's this guy talk to him like that. It must not really, uh, you know, be about his business as a pastor. You know, those things. So, unfortunately, a lot of pastors have gone the way of just separating themselves. You know, uh, for us, it might be uh, when we're witnessing, sharing our testimony, rejected by family and friends. Right? I know you. No, 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 no. You can say all you want about the Bible and everything, but I know you. I remember you. You know? Right? Yeah. Yeah. We don't want anybody bringing up our past or whatever, or our past failures. But uh, I just, it's a... Uh, Unfortunately, there are pastors that take that approach and I don't believe it's biblical at all. I, I think that we we're supposed to be uh, amongst each other and uh, that, uh, that you should see me mingling and, and as you do you know I'm, I'm not afraid to talk to anybody and you know grab trash, scrub a toilet, whatever it's, you know we're, this, this ministry is for this area you know it's not just for everybody here so we have visitors here they need to be ministered to. We're a body of believers gathered together in Jesus' name. That's, that's why we're here. But that doesn't make me any more important than anybody else. So for me to separate myself uh, from you uh, is, uh, is, I believe, unbiblical. So I've gone down that rabbit trail enough. Verse 45. I think I moved that page, so uh, forgive me as I get to it here. It says, uh, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they uh, had gone to the feast. So the Galileans had seen what happened uh, at the Passover feast, and uh, that was from the, uh, the other accounts that we've already read. So the feast, and uh, you know, no doubt they uh, had uh, either witnessed or heard about what Jesus did at the feast in John chapter 2. So all you got to do is back up. So if you're trying to figure out what, what feast are you talking, just just back up, take a left in your Bible, go back to John chapter two, and you'll see there was a Passover. The Passover is one of the three mandatory feasts for men of Jerusalem to attend, and they were to show up with an offering to the Lord and not show up empty-handed. So the Passover itself uh, was in April, or the Feast of Unleavened Bread is it might say in your Bible, but uh, the Passover. So it was celebrated in April, and it celebrated the Exodus. Um, Out of Egypt. Uh, The other uh, two are the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Pentecost may also read in your Bible as the Feast of Weeks. That was in June, 50 days after the Passover, and celebrated uh, the giving of the law. And the third one would be the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, and that would be in October and celebrated the ingathering of the Harvest. Deuteronomy 16, verses 16 and 17 say three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God uh, in the place which he chooses, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So the three we just discussed. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God which he has given you. So as they were there gathering and, and they were uh, just there for the, the Passover feast, so understand there were up to uh, some say 2 million people there for the feast of Passover. There's a lot of people there. So no doubt they heard about the guy that's in the temple flipping over uh, things and that made a whip and driving out animals out of the temple. That led to a discussion or a confrontation with the religious leaders. And uh, Jesus, Jesus, in rebuking them, said, you know, they're, they're talking about, well, who gave, gives you the authority? And he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it again. It's taken 46 years to raise this. How are you going to do it in three days? And what they didn't realize, he was speaking of the temple of his Holy Spirit. So he, uh, Sorry, of, uh, the temple of his body. So he had performed signs while he was there. So it wasn't like an, a forgettable occasion. It, wouldn't, it wasn't like anything that they quickly forget. You don't normally hear of somebody going into the temple and tossing things or witness it yourself. So uh, they they had heard of Jesus, and no doubt some in uh, in this area had heard of Jesus uh, because of what we're going to read here in verse 46. So uh, continuing in verse 46, it says, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there a certain nobleman, whose son was sick at Capernaum, when he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went, uh, went to meet him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This, again, is the second sign Jesus did. When he had come out of uh, Judea into Galilee, so Jesus had come back <clears throat> to Cana, where he had made the water into wine, a place that he um, had spared the uh, the everybody there that was that was running the the groom and the master of the feast, the embarrassment of running out of wine in a Jewish celebration and and he he provides for them. Uh, wine, and it's it's a greater wine than what they would have put out first. That that good wine that they would have put out first. So what, you know, a lesson in there. Whatever the Lord has to offer is so much better than man does. And there are a lot of lot of lessons in that. Remember, we talked about the servants that were sent, and Jesus said uh, to fill the water pots. that so they filled them to the brim. You know, when we serve the Lord, we don't go, hey, you know. I, I remember as a kid, I was I was pretty you know lazy at times, and. Uh, Go go mow. I used to love mowing the lawn, but at some point you don't like it anymore, right? Because it's not new, and you're like, oh, and you got hair. You got hair. You've got you've got grass growing up everywhere, and you're not really doing it to the fullest extent, or doing it like, hey, uh, I'm going to do a good job here. These guys filled it right to the brim. So we talked about you know several lessons there. So uh, go back and read it, and uh, I'm sure it'll it will bless you. So his, his fame, no doubt, grew from that, and uh, word of his return uh, had was spreading quickly that Jesus was here. And we hear of a we read of a nobleman uh, that was uh, had a son that was sick and near death. And uh, this nobleman, now understanding what that means, he's he's a royal person. He's one that belongs to king. So in, a king. So in this case, it would be Herod, uh, or someone who's well born. He's a man of power and well respected. So, uh, you know, when we hear nobleman, you don't, you, you know, you would automatically think this is somebody that's, that's, uh, of of, uh, that's well-respected that has power and can be probably assumed that he's well-off financially. So he's, he's got power, he's, he's well-known, uh, and he's, he's probably doing okay. You know, when things come up or whatever, he's probably not worried about putting, uh, I was going to say new tire, ty- new tires on the chariot, um, or, or anything like that. You know, he's, he's really not, not worried about those things. You know, he he can just take care of those things, but now he's met with a circumstance that he can't resolve with any of the power, uh, the connections he has, and the resources. So we know, no doubt, if his son is is this sick, that he had probably done everything he could. Where's the best doctor? Where's the best nurse? What do we do? You know, I'll pay anything. How do we how do we minister to my son? How do we get him taken care of? So uh, he, I'm sure he tried, and and to no avail. Uh, to, to get these things taken care of. So we see him in, a, in a, a state of utter desperation and he hears that Jesus is around and he heads up to Cana. Now this is about a 20 mile trip for him. It's a long trip, but he hears Jesus is there and he's saddling up whatever and he's getting going and he wants to go get into the presence of Jesus. So once he arrives there, I, and this is, this is it's some speculation, but I imagine he's not standing around waiting his turn to ask Jesus questions. I imagine he's ripping through, remember the friends, you know, Jesus is teaching in the house and they've got the paralytic and they're like ripping the ripping the ceiling off. This is a time of desperation. He hears that the last hope for his son is twenty miles away. I'm going. You know, and, and he's gone. And he, he's he's so he's he's not waiting. He finds Jesus and this nobleman humbles himself in front of Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he's imploring. Now that word implore is to petition with urgency. To pray, to beg. This is a nobleman. He's a man of power, well respected. Probably not used to having to humble himself, and uh, you know, outside of with the king. But somebody he doesn't know, just walking up and boom, right down, like, please help me. Coming, he's begging for the life of his son. It's his last hope. So it's it's not that familiar ter- territory, but he knows that Jesus is his only hope at this point. Comes to Jesus, begging, please help me. Jesus, uh, you know, uh, Jesus starts addressing wonders and faith, and Jesus addresses this uh, the the desire of many to see wonders and signs instead of you know a true faith. And he wasn't there. Jesus is explaining several times he's not there to put on a magic show. He's not just oh hey look what I got up the sleeve and 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 those things. He 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 taught against that. And uh, you know we've we've discussed signs that can point people to Jesus, but. Ah, uh, they shouldn't be the foundation of our faith. Hebrews eleven verses one through three says, "Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which were which are seen were made of things which are uh, were not made of things which are visible. So when uh, understanding faith, that, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So when Jesus is 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 confronting people that maybe were just there for the magic show, that was their lesson of you know if you if you're just here for a show and everything, we see the 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 deep what's deep down in this man's heart that cry out to the Lord, and uh, we see in his response uh, that uh, that that he does believe in Jesus and and he's he's begging for for help and uh, we see Jesus' promise to him and so that promise. You know Jesus speaking to him. Uh, he he spoke to him in great authority, complete authority. He doesn't say oh, your son might be good to go. You can go ahead. Why don't you go check on him? You know, hopefully he's good to go. Hopefully I you know I did I said the right thing or do it. Jesus Christ is is God in the flesh, and he has that authority to be able to say, go your way. Your son lives. Now, how would Jesus know this? He's 20 miles away outside of God being Jesus being God in the flesh, knowing that he's all-powerful, omnipotent, he's all-knowing, omniscient, and he's all-present, omnipresent. Remember when Jesus told Nathanael that he saw him under the fig tree? Remember in, in John 1? He's like, before, uh, you know, while you were under the fig tree, I saw you, and it blew Nathanael's mind. And all he could say was, you are the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God, instantly. And we don't even know what else, what was happening for Nathanael. But it was, it was something uh, that, that Nathaniel had no doubt at that point. So the nobleman believed, and he hurries home. Now, we know that it says the next day. So we had a long trip. So he is, is, is getting going there as fast as he can, but it's still a long trip. So he's met along the way, and the servants have great news. And they say, your son lives. And he asks them, you know, when was it? The seventh hour. So uh, the day starts, uh, Jewish, count, uh, Jewish uh, clock, uh, six o'clock. So seven o'clock, sorry, uh, uh, seven hours later, it'd be one o'clock. So he does the math and he's like, wait a minute. That's exactly when Jesus said that he was healed. And he goes and he shares with everyone and and says the boy was healed and and we understand that he was. And the father uh, now comes to faith in Jesus and he shares with his family and who in turn, they all believe. They believe in Jesus. So this man placing his trust in what Jesus said goes back and not only uh, you know, places his, his his complete faith in Jesus because of what Jesus did and what Jesus said. That those two things matched. Rather than just see the magic show and leave, he 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 knew that what Jesus said was true. That the Lord used that miracle to show him who he, who he was, and then he could tie that to his words. and And when we consider what John, how John writes, uh, and we'll cover this here in just a moment. You know, John wrote of Jesus's miracles to point people in his direction to spark believing faith, and so we'll, we'll discuss that here in just a minute. So, uh, you know, this is the second sign of of uh, when he when he came out of Judea into Galilee. So, uh, when we started in John, we learned that John wrote of these things uh, in John chapter 20, and it should be coming up here, verses 29 and 31. Jesus said, "Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed." Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. The works were to point people to Jesus, but we already discuss that, you know, it's, it's, it's the faith uh, that when we, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So once we, you know, they, these things were written of and, and John focuses on seven miracles that Jesus did and they were all to spark a believing faith in somebody. So, hey, I'm going to get your attention with this and then listen to what he had to say. This is what happened and your faith should be in Christ. You shouldn't come to him and, and, and hope to see a magic show. I mean, who wouldn't be blessed to see a miracle happen? I, there's, there's nothing wrong with, with being blessed by those things. But just to, because we can be led astray by signs. We talked about that before. You know, the Antichrist is going to be able to perform signs and lead, lead many people astray. You know, his false prophets, you know, doing signs and wonders and everything. It's important for us to know that our faith is in Christ, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's the second sign that was that had happened there. you know The first sign, uh, when he turned water into wine, if you go back and look at John chapter 2, verse 11, yes, it spared embarrassment for uh, the one that was hosting the party, in charge of, of uh, running the party, the, the master of the feast and the bridegroom. But we also see, if you if you read in there, John 2.11 says that in his disciples believed in him. That he did that so that his disciples would understand who he is. The second sign, uh, so the first sign persuaded his disciples. The second sign persuaded a Jewish nobleman and his household. And uh, what's neat is if you back up a little bit, we see the Samaritans believed without a sign. It's really, really neat. Really neat to kind of put those things together and say, well, you know what, they, they just heard. They didn't see a sign. These people, uh, you know, the noblemen and uh, the disciples, they all heard and saw a sign. Either way, uh, they, they came to faith in Christ believing what he said. Warren Wiersbe, uh, a Bible scholar, uh, shares this. He says, salvation to the soul is as healing to the body. The boy would have died had Jesus not intervened and given him health. The father heard, in verse 47, believed, in verse 50, knew, in verse 53. All these things are normal uh, Christian experience. So salvation to the soul is as healing to the body. The boy would have died had Jesus not intervened and given him health. The father heard, believed, and knew. All these things are a normal Christian experience that we would hear, believe, and then know. Hear the truth, believe it, and know it. If you look back, the Samaritans and the the noblemen, Jesus won the woman. uh, All the way back, the woman at the well, the woman won many Samaritans. And the father won his whole household. So we see that both of them, when they knew the truth, they're sharing it. There's a question there for us as believers. Because earlier uh, in John chapter 4, Jesus was explaining to his disciples that the harvest is ready. Are we focused on the harvest? Are we sharing the gospel with how we live and what we say? These people did, and look what the outcome was. It's a challenge for us in the scripture. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these laid a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered and said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry, your bed, uh, to carry your bed. And he answered and said to them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who was this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, "See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you." The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. So, all the way back to verse one, we see that there's another feast. We don't know what the feast is, uh, but we we know there's a mass religious gathering in Jerusalem, and Jesus went to it. You know, remember you know, John isn't necessarily giving us a chronological account so trying to put together the, the the gospel of John sometimes chronologically can be confusing and he's not that wasn't the way John operated. He was He wasn't giving us a chronological account um, most, most of the time but it's it's not as chronological maybe as you're reading through Matthew or Luke. but he was focused on the account of the on this account of the deity of Christ and included you know what the spirit inspired him John uh, to write. And we already talked about about this, to spark believing faith in Christ. So as he's writing this, uh, just understand it's not always a uh, chronological account. That wasn't the focus of his. His was to spark the believing faith in the reader. So verse 2 mentions a a pool called Bethesda. Now Bethesda is House of Grace. And it's a spring-fed pool in Jerusalem surrounded by five porches, and uh, it was believed to, by many to contain a certain healing property, so the sick and the lame would lay near it and wait for the waters to be stirred and would jump in and be healed. Now, uh, it, it mentions here in verse three, verses 3 and 4, sick, blind, lame, paralyzed. They're all competing to get in first. Now, I'll admit, years ago I was in Washington State, and I remember reading this, and I, it just didn't make sense to me. You know, just like that an angel would come and stir and only the first person would be healed. And, uh, you know, it was kind of um, uh, to me, I kind of looked at it as like a survival of the least sick, you know, and I'm like, wait, I just it doesn't seem to be in character with how the Lord works. You know that. that, oh, Oh, hey, if you're quick enough, you can get it. You know, I didn't understand it. So uh, if if you've uh, if you're familiar with uh, the Calvary Chapel movement and everything you might remember a radio program uh, that Chuck Smith was on and there were also several other pastors that would be on there but it was called To Every Man an Answer and I remember calling that and Chuck I got to talk to Chuck on the on the on the phone a little intimidated but I remember I remember just being parked there and um and my my question was you know just just ask I called twice um this was this was one of them, and I I try not to you know jump onto that, but this was one of the questions, and and uh, it was it was one of those things that I struggled with. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you you know what I've gathered over the years, and uh, hopefully it'll bless you as as you uh, you know move on from this. This may be something that you don't really care about, or you might, but you know it's it's true that God may have granted healing based upon a release of faith. That those people believed that that was going to happen if they got there and they jumped in and God granted it's we there are all kinds of different examples of healings in the scripture there isn't just you know one way to be healed and uh, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment now or it might have had uh, been really uh, you know a hopeful legend that was being passed on either way you know many dealing with infirmity believed it and uh, remained there nearby uh, at their shot of healing. Like whether it was legend or, or whatever was happening there, these people were convinced and they were, they were laying. They had no other hope. They had nowhere else to be. You know, They could go beg by a gate or they can hang out here and hope to get healed. Uh, David Guzik offers this. He says, if there were people genuinely healed by the waters of the pool of Bethesda, it was one of many unusual occasions uh, heal- of, of healings uh, in the Bible in 2 Kings chapter 4, some were healed by a purifying pot of stew. Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5 uh, was healed by washing in the Jordan River. Remember, he came and he, he was just told, just wash in the water. One was healed by touching the bones of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 13. Some were healed when the shadow of Peter fell on them in Acts chapter 5, and some were healed when uh, paul's handkerchiefs were laid upon them in acts chapter 19. god's not limited he can he can heal however he wants to so use those as examples sometimes we may not understand just know that you know god can and do things and and he does things uh, in unexpected ways uh, for us but uh, that doesn't mean necessarily that uh, um that, that really that something isn't necessarily from god simply because it's unexpected or unusual you know for a man with leprosy like uh, we were just discussing earlier uh, that was a death sentence and Naaman is told just to dip just dip in the jordan and he does and he's healed you know god, god isn't limited to, to our understanding you know his ways are above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts that's my presentation to you about this because it can cause questions i'm just going to point you in these other directions and that we understand those things Verse five is mentioning and so the focus now shifts to the man uh, and and where his focus is in his life his focus is on the pool instead of Jesus the healer right in front of him. he doesn't know Jesus he doesn't know what's about to happen, but his faith is placed in that pool and what happens in that pool you Now regardless of the power or the legend of the stirred waters uh, you know now this man's face to face with the great physician. You know, whether it did have healing power or if it was a legend, didn't matter at this point because this man is now face to face with the Creator. The great physician says he was in this condition for thirty eight years, dealing with an infirmity, and a sickness. He's an older man, so if he's been dealing with this for, for thirty eight years, that's a long time. And we know that at the end of this passage Jesus tells him to go your way and sin no more. So we can come to the conclusion that this came as a result of sin in his life, and we'll get into that later. Thirty-eight years is a long time to deal with an infirmity, a sickness. That's a long time. A minor thing in comparison to this. I deal with heartburn for years, and twenty years, been on this thing and changed my diet, eat this, don't eat that, all those things, and I, I, I it's pretty much under wraps now. But it, you know, I, I, I have what's called GERD, reflux disease, and and I'm I'm taking all kinds of, you know, know, I'll take my medicine in the morning, and uh, you guys have witnessed me chewing my little Tums things here uh, because uh, my throat is burning, you know, and there's all kinds of things. I've tried all the natural things and everything. I don't know what it is, but, you know, I get to this point. I couldn't imagine, and this has been for 20 years. This man has been in a state of uh, just not even being able to move, paralyzed by whatever he had for 38 years. I mean, I can go along my day and do whatever I you know, I might. I just did it. I have to, you know, gross. I, I I don't mean to be, but I might have to burp for a second or whatever. Pull my just because I've got some, but I don't. I'm not trying to be gross or anything, but that's just what I deal with. Imagine laying there, and knowing that you're deal. You've dealt with 38 for 38 years. That's a that's a long time to deal. And it says in verse six that Jesus knew his condition. These two didn't know each other. Once again, tells you who Jesus Christ is. He's God in the flesh. Jesus knew his condition, that he had been there a long time. And, and, you know, the man hadn't yet had an encounter with Jesus, but Jesus being God, he knows all things. And Jesus asks him, now it might be, you might look at that and go, well, what person who's sick doesn't want to be healed? But Jesus can ask that question. And Jesus asks him, you know, do you want to be held? I mean, there's an obvious answer there, but this is the master at work, is really what's happening. You know, and and Jesus is uh, he asked him the question, and the man stated that you know all of his his efforts and attempts to be healed had failed. And there's a lesson there for us, right? Imagine the frustration and the hopelessness over the years for this man. Thirty-eight years he'd been dealing with this. I don't know if he had been laying at the gate at that pool for thirty-eight years, and that had, had been his daily routine for. I'm 43. I just turned 40. I If you take you take you know five years off my life to spend my whole life just in that condition or any of us, you know, some of us can't take 38 years off our lives and, you know, God bless you. But, uh, (laughs) those of us that can, that's a long time, 38 years. I would have been five, but, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, taking 38 years of your life, you know, imagine the the frustration, how depressing that might be. He had dealt with that for a long time. Uh, you know, thinking of the attempts that he had made to try to get there first or to get healed or whatever it is. You know, there's a there's a lot to be learned when we're just thinking about that. You know, on our own and our own attempts are oftentimes not enough, um, you know, with the matters of this life. We just need to go to God and ask him. You know, in regard to heaven, there's nothing we can – uh, can do other than believe in Christ to to get into heaven. So this isn't a a works based thing that I, I'm I'm saying up here that you know oh we need to do a bunch of things and then we can get into heaven. No, that's not the case at all. You know good works should follow us as we're as we're followers of Christ. You know faith with works should be happening. In our that faith without works is dead. Right. So when you when you read that in 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 James and everything, that's that's not where we're going. We're not saved based on what we do. Our works should prove our faith, and they should speak to our faith. But our our works aren't what save us. If our works are what saved us, then Jesus died on the cross for nothing. Because when you look at what James says there and what Paul said, that we're saved by grace through faith and not not of works lest anyone should boast, you put those things together, and it makes sense. We should be bearing the fruit of the Spirit, sharing uh, the the gospel as we're... I've, I've used this before, helping the lady across the street or wh- whatever we're doing, mowing our neighbor's lawn or whatever it is that we just, hey, you know what? I just want to bless you. Or those works could just be the one that work that listens to someone who's going through a hard time, that you're sharing love, whatever it is. Those are things we're supposed to do as a Christian, but they don't earn us a way to a way to heaven. They don't earn our salvation. They're, they They should be. A, an evidence of the salvation and, and an evidence of the Spirit at, at work in our hearts and in our lives. So this man had done everything he could, and it just wasn't working. And he explains that to Jesus, and Jesus' response to him is very simple. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. So he had dealt with all these things, nothing worked, but then he meets Jesus, and everything changes in his life. He's laying there. He's got no hope. Uh, you know everything he's tried, nothing works. And then Jesus tells him to rise, take up his bed, and walk. And this what we read here is that he's healed immediately, and he took up his bed and walked. There's instant healing. He obeyed Jesus and carried his bed. He had, to, and uh, we talked about this uh, before when I had filled in for Will. I don't know, a year or two ago or whatever. And we were discussing in Acts when. When uh, the the man that's lame at the entry of the temple and he's begging for alms and he sees Peter and John and he's asking of something, and uh, and Peter looks at him and says, "Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I you know I offer to you in the name of of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk." And instantly this man that was born lame had the strength and stability. And we talked about that when we have an injury. I've had a shoulder and knee surgeries and the extensive. Uh, just repairing, going through physical therapy and getting those, because what, what would happen is if you ever, if you ever, if you've experienced a, a surgery or anything, uh, specifically for me, it was really weird because, uh, in my arms, uh, when I had my, my, uh, labor repaired, my posterior anterior, whatever the one in the back, um, when I had that repaired, I couldn't move my arm. And I I could barely take it out of the sling. uh, really just a shower or whatever, but I couldn't move it from this this position here. And I was talking to Shane and Justin Casey uh, this morning, saying after my surgery I couldn't even play guitar because I couldn't put my arm out this much. So when I couldn't move my arm, it didn't take long. It was only a couple of days, and my muscle completely uh, I, I experienced muscle atrophy. Have you ever have you ever heard of that? Where it was like, you know, I had the muscle in this arm and this one was like gone. I'm like, I'm showing Jen. I'm like, look at this thing. You know, I'm like, ah. You know, well, later, later when I could move my arm. I'm like, and, and the same thing happened when I had my knee surgery. Is my my right quad went down to like this and my left quad stayed the same. And I, it's just weird. And I'm showing Jen and I'm like, look at this thing. You know, it's, it's weird. Now, this man, when Jesus tells him to take up his bed and walk, he instantly, instantly has the power the he, You know, 38 years he had been in a situation, instantly could walk, instantly had that stability. It was, I, mean, I imagine there was probably a little bit of trust that needed to be gathered, you know, as you stand up. Okay, am I, am I going to take a, a header right now or whatever, you know, and, and uh, he didn't. You know, he just, he gets up and he takes up his bed and walks. It's just such a blessing. He had instantly had that power. You know, all of his earthly attempts had failed and, and now Jesus speaks something and now he can stand up and, and, uh, and he's healed verse nine introduces an interesting uh, twist to the plot here. the day was the Sabbath that added to the story because uh, the story doesn't end here so uh, as as we read here verses ten through thirteen we read of the opposition um, uh, to his obedience to Christ you know when the religious leaders saw him carrying it they start grilling him and uh, they they didn't rejoice that he's healed like hey they no doubt knew him. They, they no doubt were at least aware of him, you know, 38 years in the area. And when they see him carrying his mat, you know, they're going, you know, what, what are you doing here? And, uh, you know, there's they just start investigating further. You know, it's true that the Jews were told that there was not to be work done on the Sabbath work, work there. But this was extra biblical, what they're putting on them. This is an excerpt that I found, you know, carrying a bed uh, didn't violate God's law, but their interpretation of it. It was the problem. Carrying your bed when you've been healed does not, uh, doesn't uh, break the law itself. Uh, Barclay, so when I say somebody's last name, these are Bible, you know, renowned Bible scholars. He said, the rabbis of Jesus' day solemnly argued that a man was sinning if he carried a needle in his robe on the Sabbath carrying a needle in his robe on the Sabbath. They even argued as to whether he could wear an arti- wear artificial teeth or his wooden leg. So that tells you there that, that there's something wrong there. Jesus persistently maintained that it is lawful on the Sabbath to do good. He ignored the mass of uh, scribal uh, regulations, the scribes, and thus inevitably came into conflict with the authorities. Uh, Morris wrote that that Jesus persistently maintained that it is lawful on the Sabbath to do good. He ignored the mass of scribal regulations and thus inevitably came into conflict with the authority. Remember Jesus had to tell them that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It that's, it's a, it, it was a day of rest. It's a day of rest. It was it shouldn't rule and reign over someone's life. Just rest. God created rest for people. We do need rest. <laughs> you know, if we, how many people, my, my old job, I'd, I'd work 12 days straight. You remember Eric, right? <laughs> Every month was a 12 day stretch because we had drill weekend. You know, you'd work all week, work the weekend, and work the next week. And weren't we exhausted at the end? That, that 12 day was just like, I used to call the, the Friday before drill weekend fake Friday. You know, so I, I was at work and I'm like, this is not Friday. I don't have tomorrow off. This is fake Friday. It's important for us to have rest. But that the, the Sabbath isn't supposed to rule and reign over our lives. Uh, God gave the Sabbath to man to rest. So what we see here is once again, the traditions of man are being honored over the word of God, as Jesus told the religious leaders in, in Mark chapter 7. In verse 13, uh, the religious leaders asked him, uh, who healed you? And he didn't even know. And what we read there is that Jesus left because of the multitude. There's a multitude coming. Now, uh, it wasn't the time for him to be declared as Messiah quite yet. So he left. Now, verse 14 is pretty interesting because Jesus found him in the temple. Jesus sought him out. Remember? So Jesus left and then Jesus kind of comes back and knows exactly where he's at. So there's more to the story here. This man's spiritual state needed to be addressed as we, as we already read and we saw. The healing got his attention. Now Jesus needs to get to the deeper matter in his life. Jesus said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So as discussed earlier, we can conclude that this man, uh, the long affliction in his life from the sickness was a result of his sin. You know, we don't know what, but that doesn't really matter. Does that mean that every time somebody is sick, they have sin in their life? No, it does not. Every time we get the sniffles, it's called bacteria. It's called viruses. Okay, There are results of things that affect our lives that will negatively impact our lives because of what we put our bodies through. That's what Jesus is addressing here. What you're dealing with is a result of what you did in your life. Jesus has said, go your way and sin no more. We go and we don't, if we go, and I always made a joke, you know, when, when the whole COVID thing came out is, you know, well, don't go around licking doorknobs, you know, and you're probably going to be okay. Wash your hands and keep, you know, and all those things. Right. Because we know that's how bacteria works. I saw a video of a kid, um, uh, they were in like a, um, I think he, I think that she, he or she, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Uh, I think they were on, uh, one of the moving sidewalks, got their tongue right on the guardrail. Uh, <laughs> they threw him like. Where is mom or dad? You know, like, what do you realize, you know, what that kid is collecting in their mouth? Okay. So the the discussion here isn't that this person uh, is a sinner and, you know, got the sniffles and uh, because they're a sinner. Oh, you're sick because you got sin in your life. Okay. I know several people that are coming out of that, that, uh, that false teaching. It is false teaching. It is not biblical. Sometimes we get sick. Jesus didn't say, hey, go, you know, go back and, and, and uh, tell your son he needs to repent and then he can be healed, right? His son was sick. Jesus healed him. doesn't mention any sin in his life. This guy's sick and Jesus mentions his sin quietly. Jesus doesn't drag the guy up and go, this guy was a sinner and embarrass him in front of everybody else. He finds him privately in the temple, goes and seeks, seeks him out, no doubt knowing that, that the, uh, that the uh, religious leaders had already given him grief. He he finds him and he says, hey, we need to talk about something privately, deeper. We need to get to a deeper matter here. You're healed now. You understand and you remember that this was a result of your sin, right? You've been healed. Go your way and sin no more. Oh, God is so awesome. Go your way and sin no more. So Jesus knew that he'd been in this condition for a long time. You know, uh, you know, how long have we suffered with what's affected our lives? How long have we tortured ourselves mentally, emotionally, hopefully not physically? You know, uh, you know how long has something spiritually tortured us? Bring it to Jesus and say, I can't carry this anymore. And there's nothing, there's no stirring of water. There's nobody here to help me. This program, whatever it is, I just need you to take this from me. I need your help he's going to honor that request, right? Ask, and it will be given to you. Jesus said that. When we go to him in faith and ask, he's going to me. It might take a while. He might be working something to purge that slowly out of our lives and drag it out because it has to go through. We Personally, we have to go through that process. We've discussed that. Some people, when, when they are, are saved, they're instantly, whoa, hey, I'm walking with the Lord, and they're on fire, and that fire just... Boom, they blaze through life for the rest. And then there's other times, hm, hm, you know, other people going like this or just, mmm, and then come up for air. You know, just continue to seek the Lord. Continue to follow him. Keep our eyes and our hearts focused on him, and he's going to carry us through whatever it is. We can go to him and trust him. You know, uh, you know we might live our lives dealing with the effects of our sin, but that's as far as they can go. might go our whole life knowing that, hey, that stupid thing I did, took my leg or my stupid thing I did, did this, or had, you know, this consequence. We might live there, but that all ends. You know, if you think of spiritual infirmities, it can't follow us. Look at revelation 21. There's no more death. There's no more tears. There's no more of anything, uh, any of those things. And we read in Philippians three that we get a new body. Philippians three verses 20 and 21 say for our citizenship is in heaven for which, Uh, From which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be, be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Our sins are washed away when we're saved. We don't have to go, oh you know this infirmity or whatever i'm dealing with how this tortures my mind in my past or whatever those things are gone understand that when when we professed our faith in Christ and and we've uh, we've been born again we are new creations in Christ those burdens of our hearts and minds can be lifted don't don't hold on to them like we need to feel guilty about them anymore let them be a reminder to us but don't go. Oh, you know what? I, I I feel released from that that guilt and shame that I had in my life. I need to keep it here uh, b- because I uh, if I forget that I might draw. I might go. No, forget all about it and move forward with the Lord, knowing that that He has taken our sins and moved them as far as the east is from the west, and He's made us a new creation in Him. It's so important for us to understand. We may still deal with physical physical things. we may still have something on a on a criminal record or or whatever it is that we're not happy about. Those things are still gone you know with our relationship with the Lord, but there are things that may follow us. This man here, there was something deeper, and Jesus met him quietly and privately and addressed that. He didn't say, "Hey, everybody, look over here. you know this guy did this, and he's tried, and you know didn't embarrass him. Jesus healed him. He went away and then met him later and said, let's talk about how you got here. And And you need to make sure that you, you refrain from sin. No longer walk in sin and you'll be able to uh, stand upright for the rest of your life. And verse 15, it says, then the man returned and told the religious leaders that it was Jesus that made him well. He went back. Hey, you were asking. It was Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And that it, this is like this is the end of it. This is like a to be continued, right? How many times do we ever like to see that when you're watching a show and you're like, how are they going to, and you see to be continued. You know, I got to wait a whole other week. Good thing is you have a Bible, right? Let's open it up. So you guys have some homework. We have a cliffhanger here and there's more to the story. You know, um, we understand that uh, verse 16, we learned that uh, not everybody's happily ever after. As a result of this, there's going to be a confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders. So, you know, read the rest of the chapter that's our homework for the week okay all right let's pray father we are so blessed by your word and uh, what it what it, how you teach us through it oh lord that we uh, just keep our eyes focused on you in our lives understanding that anything uh, physically that's remaining from how we uh, lived our old old life those we don't we have to we have to remember that spiritually we're washed we're cleansed But those things no longer torture or have any type of dominion in our lives. But only you, reigning in your grace, love, and mercy in our hearts. Someday we'll have a new body and we'll be with you forever. We look forward to that. In Jesus' name, amen.